You're tuned in to the BBRLA In Conversation With podcast. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for either a live a recording of our podcast in conversations with or joining us later on to have a listen to what has really been a hot topic at the moment, which is COP26. We are in what's described as the climate emergency. We need to try and limit greenhouse gas emissions and to try and combat that. The world's come together in Glasgow, which is a moment to be quite proud of for the UK, spearheading the initiatives. And I've got two people who are actually in Glasgow this in the last weeks um, with me today. And we're just going to have a, a, a conversation to really unpack what we think this all means, where we might be going, and what this could potentially have as impacts for the industry. So firstly, I've got Fiona from Zenith. Hi, good morning. <laughs> and we've got Laura Holloway from Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Hello, good morning. So as is with this podcast series, we try to keep it uh, quite relaxed, quite conversational. And if you have any questions or insights that you want us to talk about, please feel free to to pop them in the questions, and we'll read them out. Um, similarly, if you've got if you're listening to this later and you have questions or there's something that sparks off, always feel free to get in touch with the BVRLA. We love to hear from you and try to help you with things. I think the first place to start on this all is Fiona you were in Glasgow for Transport Day which is obviously the uh the, the biggest one tell us about it yeah it was um it was a really interesting day i have to say um very very intense so unfortunately i wasn't in the blue zone which is where all the um all the dignitaries were but i was in the green zone which is uh, sort of the grassroots where it was open to the public and i attended four sessions in total across the day so very intense uh, but it gave me a really good opportunity to look at things from another angle so uh, the first session i attended was um, on how communications might be able to help um, through film uh, mm. and how people can get their message out through that. So that was quite a powerful session from a personal point of view um, that it, we had we had guests there um, talking about their experiences in the um, in in the south of the south of the equator and how devastating this mm. uh, climate change is going to be. So it really gave me a real good context to start thinking about what transport day might might bring about. Uh, and then the next sessions were were a little bit more exciting and a little bit more relevant to Fleet because they were all about accelerating transport uh, in, into the EV space. So heard from the Bengal Chamber of Commerce and how they'd been working with local industries uh, and local local areas to try and uh, and speed up decarbonisation. How could they how could they approach that? And that was really quite um, eye opening in terms of how how fast some of these areas have developed and the approaches that they've taken. Uh, so, for example, um, they've nominated new towns where they've looked at what the existing modes of transport are and how they're then going to take them forward in the future through electrification and addressing the local concerns. Uh, 
Formula E uh, was another session that I attended. And obviously, you know, that's from a motorsport enthusiast. I'm not a motorsport enthusiast, but I quite enjoy watching Lewis Hamilton. Um, <laughs> so, so it was quite nice to watch that and listen to what, you know, Formula E has started from a, a zero base. They, they, their objective is to make sure that everything that they do is carbon neutral. So that was quite interesting to hear from from them. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, a, a session chaired by the uh, by Bloomberg Green, uh, and that was all, all people from all around the world coming together with all the ideas that they have in terms of how they're going to accelerate transport. Um, transport zero emissions so yeah all in all it was a um, an action-packed day uh, and lots going on and lots of people to talk to as well outside of the sessions which was very exciting yeah and i guess bringing all everyone into the uk is is from your insight does it feel like the uk is leading this or is it one where and and sort of has got something to tell the rest of the world or is it a situation where there's much better stories out there which we need to be listening to i think naively i went in thinking that the uk was way ahead of everybody else because we always feel that we are way ahead of everybody else but so it was particularly um enlightening to hear from uh bengal chamber of commerce and the mm-hmm. people that they had on on their panel um in terms of the way that they have approached this and and how they've ach- achieved zero carbon in some of their cities, um, which was really eye-opening. Um, we, we've obviously got to take different approaches in the UK because we've got quite clear um, infrastructure um, constrictions, restrictions, mm-hmm. um, and I guess they, they had the opportunity to create new towns um, to enable them to, to deliver on this. I guess that always comes back to sort of localized solutions for these challenges, especially on the transport front. Yes, I, mean, I think one of, one of the solutions that um, the the um, Bengal Chamber of Commerce had talked about was using um, tr- trying to get the message out to people that EV is actually going to be quite quite a good transition, um, and they they'd set up a carnival day for. Uh, uh, for people just to come along and attend and have a fun day out with the family <laughs> and, and get to experiment. I can't see how how that might work in the UK, although I suppose we've got Carfest. Maybe that's the way <laughs> to do it. <laughs> What's your views on uh, uh, Carnival Days, Laura, for uh, getting people into EVs? Well, I mean, everyone likes a carnival, but uh, like Fiona, I'm not entirely sure of the link between the two, but <laughs> I'm sure it was fun. <laughs> but uh laura you, you hosted a an, an event at cop uh, well yes we did so enterprise um hosted an event um we didn't do it on on transport day um largely because when, when we had to to pick a date we didn't have an agenda to choose a date from so um <laughs> transport day but in a sense I'm not, i don't think that that you know that particularly mattered um our event was more themed around partnerships between different parts of the the transport sector to achieve decarbonization so i suppose we were looking at um there'll be some large target sets and big dates set. we've got a lot of dates and phase out dates and targets in the uk already and we've got those globally but actually what we were trying to focus on was well you know that's fine but what's the roadmap to get to those dates what's going to happen tomorrow what's going to happen the day after next year the year after that and actually looking at 
some of the things that we can do now and um, some of the things we'll be able to do tomorrow and then actually how that's going to get us to the date if we work in partnership so it was a it was a slightly different um event um from, from that perspective because we thought well you know there's really no point in us engaging in debates around what the global target should be because to be honest i'm not sure that's an area where we would expect to have much influence yeah i think that that story of collaboration is so powerful um seeing it seeing what i've seen on on linkedin as a, as a sort of a, a cop cop voyeur um i it seems like there's more people from more industries coming together on this than ever before when i when i started having conversations around electric vehicles a, a few years ago it was this big transport and energy need to talk to each other but now it feels like everyone needs to talk to each other and it, it sounds like that's your thinking as well laura yeah, definitely. I think that theme of partnerships is a really powerful one. But I suppose on the on the same theme of what you were just saying there, the thing that struck me was that the whole debate around decarbonisation has almost moved from a, a fringe issue that maybe some businesses would engage in in a kind of forward looking way to you had a huge variety of different businesses that even, you know, customers and partners that even we had at our event. I mean it was a it was a a really, you know, eclectic mix of different mm. people that we had there and you know part part of that is our I suppose our diversity in what we do as a business but a lot of it was because of the breadth of interest in the topic we had people from local authorities in the public sector to small businesses to big businesses to, to people like Fiona because you know obviously she came along to our events so partners like Fiona who came along so we you know had everything from huge leasing companies to, to smaller customers from our commercial vehicles division all there to have the same debate and in a sense that was one of the best parts of it was that all those people were interested enough in what we wanted to talk about and wanted to join the debate enough that they were all willing to to come to Glasgow and um you know despite you know perhaps some um, less than ideal ways of getting there <laughs> was the transport really a challenge uh, this is something which I've heard it actually do you know what it actually wasn't as it wasn't um particularly bad on I think we were quite lucky because we the the day of our event was after um all of the world leaders had left, so all the motorcades and car motorcades and road closures and things had all ended and actually there wasn't any protests or anything that day particularly. So we were lucky in that sense and the rail strikes didn't happen. So we were able to do most of it by, by train, etc. So that was great. Um, but I think in the run-up there'd been a bit of a concern about, well, will we actually even be able to get into Glasgow? Um, for it um you know there been some horror stories about overflowing bins train strikes road yeah. places yeah. protests marches you know it's but it, it didn't you know it didn't work out like that it was brilliant that's that's great to hear and, and fiona you i assume you also got around yeah yeah i'm obviously quite fortunate in that i've got family live fairly local uh to the area so i've i've been stopping with my mother um and uh yeah i, I, I used um, public transport uh, and and it was, I, I couldn't believe how empty the trains were at rush hour. <laughs> but I, I understand that the um, my, my brother's based in Glasgow, and he uh, he all the businesses in Glasgow were basically told do not go into the city while Corp is on. Mm -hmm. So I think that really made a big difference for anybody that was trying to to come in uh, to the city. Sort of shattered down a bit. Yeah. Uh, which is a yeah. I think the. The one thing which I was quite interested in with all this is the sort of new technologies that people seem to be talking about sort of carbon capture, capture and storage and um, 
as you said, or lots of big commitments coming out of COP. But was there something which you think is sort of exciting or a precedent which we should be thinking about for our industry, which might be a bit of inspiration or is it more just more of the same? Let's get through tomorrow. Let's let's get on this journey. Or, or is there some sort of bigger impacts from this that you think might last as a bit of a legacy? Well, the, I suppose the biggest legacy should, that I that I was struck by was that there was a, a sense that the public sector and the government and and the private sector needed to work closely together. So mm. it seemed to be for the first time a real powerful acknowledgement from government that they weren't going to get to the targets that were set unless they had the support and, and involvement in the private sector. So from our perspective, that was music to our ears because we've been saying for a long time that actually you need to listen to industry, you need to actually work together. You can't just set targets and policy. You need to work in partnership. Um, and we, you know, we're all in this together. Um, so if, if we need to, to hit targets, then they need to, to, to be speaking to the people who are actually going to be delivering them. I mean, we actually had a minister at our event, uh, Lord Offord, who's uh, one of the, the Scotland ministers for the UK government, came. And he's a he's a relatively new minister and new member of the House of Lords, but he's also um, a former businessman and Scotland yeah. native. So, but, but he really did echo that message of needing to work with the private sector and being really pleased to see so many different types of business represented. And that was probably the first time that I'd seen that acknowledged so openly and strongly. That's brilliant. And does that go all the way down, do you think, to the local authorities? Because as Fiona was saying, it's a lot of this is going to be local implementation, you know, solutions for really quite small areas and trying to tackle these problems as we transition the, the transport network, heat network, whatever it is, there will be, or is it all going to come from top down? Well, I think it's going to be both. It's going to be top down and, and bottom up because... Mm. Often what you see in a local level is the funding and the policy that they're working with is set by national government. So, for example, there are funding pots out there that support electric vehicle charging, um, but they often are very prescriptive in terms of what a local authority can use that funding or that money for. Um, so, you know, to quote a very kind of narrow example that, that we work within, there's a, a fund for local authorities for charging infrastructure for electric vehicles that specifically says it can't be used for car club. Now, when oh. we're looking, which, yeah, exactly, which seems really strange because it's always been acknowledged that a car club is a way of getting people out of a private vehicle. And if actually you want to reduce emissions by reducing private car usage, then you need to be supporting car club and particularly the electrification mm -hmm. of car club. So that is a just a one sort of it's a narrow example but i think there are, there are numerous examples in lots of different funding areas where actually there needs to be more of a realization at a national policy level to support what's going to be delivered on the ground so yeah i guess it's both to answer your original question yeah it does become a challenge when you've got so many different actors involved to try and get that unity and i guess that's where sort of strong messaging and and that coming together really works. And I guess any insights on how you achieve that, Fiona or, or, or Laura? Yeah, I think um, just just reflecting on, I was, uh, as Laura mentioned, I was fortunate enough to be invited to uh, Laura's event uh, last week, which was fabulous to see so many people from so many different parts coming together. Uh, I think the thing that particularly struck me was demonstration of technology um, and how 
how we can use these technological interfaces to try and make um, journeys much uh, much cleaner. Mm. So, uh, so they did have a demonstration of of some of an app uh, which um, was developed to try and pull together all the different means of of moving around. It was in Scotland, um, which is much easier, I think, to target because it's one region. Mm. Um, but it pulls together all the ways of getting to, you know, whether it's a ferry or a plane, hopper plane type thing, uh, or a taxi, etc. How can I get from the Outer Hebrides to Glasgow um, and making that solution available? Things like that. When you when you boil it down to, because at the end of the day, we all as individuals have to push this agenda mm. as well. So it's not. Yes, it is great that it's coming from the top, but we also need individuals to be able to have access to that. So that for me, that was really marvellous to be able to see that something like that's happened and how that might then be rolled out across the UK. I believe there's more difficulties in in in, in doing that because the the real companies you can't book um, you can't book the real journey via that particular app because we have so many different real companies in, in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah so it will be interesting to see how that develops and I think those kind of tools will will really help. I guess then it's about if about if we're thinking about personal buy-in, is this the blue planet moment when we all suddenly realise that uh, as individuals we need to take accountability and uh, we stop using plastic straws, etc. After we saw, saw David Attenborough's uh, uh, documentary, I uh, I wonder if this is the similar moment. Uh, for the UK on on personal accountability with regards to emissions, I, I don't know if that's the energy which 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 you take away from it, or if or if you think we still got a way to go before people people adopt that. I I think it certainly raised awareness. I think there are more people mm. talking about uh, climate. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it would necessarily have been something that my family would have been thinking about, but I'm engaging now with my my family just. You know, they knew what I did as a job, but they they weren't really that engaged in that. So I think you know, if that if that can be rolled out across the whole of the world, which I suppose is our overall objective, if that if we could achieve that, that would be awesome. But if we just stick to the the UK, um, yeah, that would be that would be amazing. If if it's if it, if only it's just raised that little bit of awareness in terms of what's going on, and it's not all about. Um, you know the activist view of you know mm. you guys are poisoning the planet for me type thing that, mm. that actually we can work together and come up with a, a solution that works for everybody uh, there's a question which has been sent in um so i don't know if we could have that pop up on the screen so the question is has cop 26 in your opinion been a success the results i understand will only be seen in years to come but has it allowed for some tough conversations to be had I don't know who would like to, to, to kick off with that one. Well, I'm happy to. I can I can take that one. <laughs> um, Go for it. The silence was ominous. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was um I was wondering if Fiona would want to because she's um been in and around so much, but um I'm happy to give that one a go. I I think that there's um there's two answers to that. One is that a lot of the results won't be known for a number of years as the there's the question kind of acknowledges, 
but equally I do think it's been a success in in the points we've talked about earlier today in terms of galvanizing the conversation mm. getting more people involved actually creating a forum where all different kinds of um, the private sector want to to talk together. I think more globally on a global political level, I'm not sure that the the UK government will be as delighted as maybe they would have hoped in terms of the international outcomes and the global targets. But I think actually what we were more concerned with was actually the delivery um, of of decarbonisation on the ground. And I think from that perspective, there does seem to be real momentum and real a real willingness to to embrace new changes, look at new technology, work in partnership. And and from that perspective, I think it has been a success. Yeah, I think to a degree, the political space is always going to be the much bigger question, the much more challenging one, and and one which I think... um, we definitely won't know for 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 next period of time. It does feel like there is an increasing gap between what has been or what is achievable in 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 more developed countries and and what's achievable elsewhere. From a very personal perspective, I saw that South Africa, uh, where I'm from originally, uh, has got I think something in the region of seven or eight billion pounds uh, invested in renewable energy, which is it's an incredibly coal reliant country and has come out of COP with a, with a big boost to renewable uh, energy investment, which can only be a, a really positive thing for a country like South Africa, which needs to wean itself off coal or else we, there'll be coal power plants being built well into the 2050s, et cetera, which it isn't in the, the globe's interest. So perhaps we'll see some more soft impacts like that and not necessarily the big commitments, but uh, smaller changes which can, can can try and get us in the right direction. I don't know if you have anything to add there, Fiona. No, I think uh, Laura probably covered it all. It is more about seeing um, how we can work together um, and, and pull together uh, and try and make things happen. Now, I suppose, um, thinking about what, what actually was announced last week by um, the Chancellor, uh, Maybe we have got something that's a little bit more imminent, though. We have got the um, requirement for the listed companies to to publish what their plan is. And, and it's not just going to be a case of we've got a plan and, yeah, everybody's mm. happy now because we've published the plan. That will be auditable. So I think um, that would be a way of us seeing the results soon because that's uh, that's happening from 2023, which... Uh, crazily we're nearly in 2022 so it's not too far along <laughs> yeah and uh, we we've done a, a survey of members recently and carbon reporting etc i think is on everyone's agenda but it's only recently been added um not everyone is very far along in that journey yeah um and i think that might be something which we see a lot more of in the years to come uh, especially as you say, with the larger listed companies, but it might sort of shift down. I don't know if that's something which um, we see for an industry as something where we can help. Because if you start looking at scope three emissions of grey fleet, etc., that does seem to be a space where rental and leasing can help firms both understand their emissions and then also uh, reduce them. I don't know if that's something which you're thinking about. Oh, I was going to say, but if you're you go ahead. <laughs> no, all, all I was going to say, just thinking, you know, 
what tends to happen is when people see this as a best practice model, that it mm. won't just be the um, it won't just be the big businesses, the, the FTSE 100 that do this. It will be it will be um, rolled out, and I think our, our customers will be coming to us to to look for solutions that can help them deliver on those plans. And I think that's where you know we 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 can add. Uh, more value um, by mm. by trying to help them uh, seek out the solutions. It'll, it'll spread across the economy. Laura, you were going to come in. I was just going to say on the, the topic of Gravely, it was an, that's an interesting one because I think often that concept of mileage reimbursement, paying people to use their own private cars is something that people don't even think about um, because it's such an ingrained practice. But actually, we've seen where particularly local authorities look at that issue and actually use a, a different solution, um, usually a, um, a combination of different modes of travel, um, actually that in itself can be a huge reduction in emissions. So mm. it's that's an area where I think businesses could look at um, their own practice and their own travel policies more extensively because so often people have written into their contracts that they need to have access to a private vehicle or that they need to be able to use a private vehicle for, for business travel, et cetera. Whereas actually if if they look to other solutions that, that you know that, that involve using a, a cleaner, newer vehicle, then actually um not only do you reduce the number of journeys those people make, but actually you reduce the emissions as well. So that's definitely an area where there needs to be a bit more focus, um, particularly in this sort of post COVID world where people's sort of movements and business travel habits have changed anyway. Yeah. And I think hopefully something like COP can and the requirements around reporting, etc., will spark off a lot of people to, to a lot of different organizations to do reviews of their current procedures and, and, and try and have some critical conversations, which otherwise perhaps wouldn't have happened. Yes, exactly. And I think it's it's all about actually because I think so often people concentrate on sort of headline grabbing parts of a business whereas actually mm. some of the places where you can make the the easiest change more quickly um is in things like staff travel corporate travel policies um you know those are changes that most businesses could make relatively quickly and um, if they looked at it and thought about it as part of part of that issue whereas actually not in so many cases it's siloed it's not even part of what's discussed they're more looking at say whatever that core that business's core function is rather than actually thinking about it across the board yeah We've had another question come in. Um, oh, wow. Hot topic. Hydrogen. The aim is for affordable, renewable and low carbon hydrogen to be globally available. How will that impact the vehicle industry as a lot of the focus has primarily been on EVs? Now, I know from your, your business, Laura, that that's, you have been looking at hydrogen. Oh, I shall throw this one to you first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we um, have got some hydrogen um, vehicles in fleet at the moment that we're using sort of in an experimental way. They're cars, though. They're not vans or, or HGVs. Um, and we've been using them to sort of test and learn and see how they actually work. And I think I may have spoken to you before, Tom, about one of the, the major barriers to hydrogen at the moment is the, the lack of hydrogen fueling that's available mm -hmm. because um, there are very few fueling plants across uh, sites across the across the UK and actually the ones that do exist are not particularly reliable so often you can turn up to the only fueling plant within you know several hundred miles and it's out of action because uh, you know and no 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 sense of when it'll be back in uh, in action it's not like you can just drive to the one down the road so 
um, from that in that sense, um, they're a little bit challenging to use because you really, really have to plan a journey. Um, yeah. And actually, sometimes even the best laid plans cannot work. I mean, we've had situations when we've had people all set up to use them over the weekend um, as a trial or during the week, and actually they turn up to fuel them and there's no hydrogen. So um, I think before anyone could have a meaningful um, hydrogen offering, um, there would need to be a real expansion of hydrogen infrastructure. But having said that, when people have used them, the feedback has generally been very positive. They have a good range. People enjoy using them. They're very instant to fill up on like an electric vehicle. They, you know, they what you know, you can you can refuel them a bit more in the same way as you can a, a petrol or diesel vehicle. So in that sense, they're a bit more of the what people know. Um, but long term, I think if if they are if hydrogen vehicles and hydrogen technology more widely is going to be part of of the the future um, in the UK, there's going to have to be a, a decision made fairly quickly to expand the infrastructure and actually in what sectors you want to look at is it just going to be for heavy vehicles or is it going to be targeted at people making long journeys or you know where where does the technology actually fit in um so you know we've not really made any kind of decision as to whether we do or don't think they'll be part of the solution it's just it's a good thing along with other types of vehicles to test and see if they do work for our customers i guess the thing with hydrogen is with an electric vehicle when there wasn't much charging you at least could charge it at home if you were lucky enough to have off-street parking etc so there's sort of a safety net that a small group of people could take on electric vehicles and could uh, build up that demand for people to then have a business case to put out the infrastructure hydrogen no one has a home hydrogen plant is it something which might have to be be led by big fleets who can put in that hydrogen infrastructure themselves um, it, it seems to me to be a much bigger challenge from the infrastructure side. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think, um, as you said, if more people started to have hydrogen vehicles, there'd be more demand for fueling. So obviously, you would end up with more public fueling points um, available. But I also think, for example, if if it was that it was going to be um, a solution for HGVs, you would probably see people who had fleets of HGVs or big users at you know logistics or delivery companies would probably have their own on-site hydrogen fueling in the same way that a lot you know they often do with with um normal fuel types at the moment so um it's 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 a bit chicken and egg at the moment because obviously there's there's been a bit of a lack of clarity from governments to where they actually see hydrogen fitting in um, they make some announcements about funding for fueling sites regularly and there's there's some sort of headline announcements maybe side or you know, announced again another hydrogen hub, but they're all quite a long way in the future. So it's a little bit unclear as to whether it's a technology that's worth investing in or not. Um, so I think until you have a bit of clarity um, from governments to where that solution fits in, you're probably not. It's you're probably not going to see people investing in fueling or vehicles or um, different solutions for their own businesses. I think it all comes back to that that clarity and technology roadmap point and. I guess that's where it comes down to, I mean, you doing trials with hydrogen vehicles right now, there, there's both a public and a private um, element to that trialing to figuring out what's going to work and, and, and how it's going to work. Um, and I think we'll probably see a lot more of that going forward. So I don't know if that's something which you're exploring um, more widely, sort of looking at different technologies and fleet, or is that just normal, normal process with the, with the hydrogen vehicles? Well, obviously, it depends. You know, we will work within whatever kind of technologies are available from the manufacturers. So, in this mm. 
situation we had an opportunity with one of the manufacturers to test that product so obviously we were happy to do so so it's it's more kind of what the manufacturers make available and what we can what we can use and actually where we think it would be good to use those um vehicles with our customers so we did have a few customers who were interested in having them um, and trying them and it was good data for us and we've had quite a few sort of politicians who've, who've tried them just to even try the technology more than anything else mm. and fiona on the sort of uh hydrogen front is that something which which you're giving a lot of thought to or is it a sort of wait and see like laura was saying there's still two early days it, it i think for our customers it's probably two early days um mm. Yeah, the, I suppose they're they're kind of trying to get that idea of what is going to be the final solution. Mm. Um, so you know we've we've got some electric vehicles uh, that that people are sort of taking an interest in saying, can we get them onto our policies um, for you know even for the HGVs and the LCVs? But um, you know we've we've still got that cost barrier to get over um, mm. for for that for that hurdle but then i suppose as, as hydrogen comes on board um I, I honestly don't know i think is the is the honest answer i don't i don't think there's a huge appetite and there's not a lot of requests coming in on that one um but i do see you know a, a blended solution because we'll probably we need to be thinking about that transition sooner rather than later to meet the announced targets uh mm. Of 2040, uh, so so these fleets need to know what that roadmap is going to look like. So it'll be interesting to see how those conversations with government uh, pan out over the, the coming months, uh, so that we can give them that, that that greater idea of yes, it will be a solution of you'll have a little bit of EV, you'll have a little bit of hydrogen, and actually there may be another technology that might be around the corner that might help. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, how that develops. I think it's and, and that links us back to what was the biggest uh, announcement from COP with a sort of direct impact on our sector, which was the phase updates for, for HGVs, uh, 2035 for everything up to 26 tonnes um, and 2040 for everything over 26 tonnes. So phase updates of uh, emitting new vehicle sales, I should say, not just that we're not going to uh, phase everything out, sorry. Um, and I guess it would be interesting to take uh, your initial insights into that announcement. Um, I think from our side, we were quite happy that government seems to have taken on board the comment that HEVs are complex, um, that there's lots of different use cases and that not all use cases work with those very clean weight lines. Um, and so there'll be a consultation next year or later this year looking at what derogations are needed on use case for vehicles which are in the 26 tons and under but need to have a later uh, phase out date. I think that sort of talks to, to, to your point, Laura, about government wanting to, to, to engage on these issues. But more broadly, are dates enough or is, is this now the area of where we need that delivery plan, etc.? I'm not sure if either of you would like to have a go at that one. Well, my view generally is that the dates are one thing and it's obviously good to have that clarity of direction from the government so we're not opposed to having targets and dates there but in the absence of anything else they are just dates and if you don't have policy and clear roadmaps and um, plans and to, to deliver those dates they will remain just dates and actually to be honest probably what will happen in a date that's 
you know, it's, it is, it's not that far away, I don't think, in sort of fleet planning and business planning terms, but actually in political terms, that's a long way away that day. I would imagine that most of the politicians involved in agreeing that date and setting that date will certainly not be involved at the point it's rolling around uh, to be achieved. So there is um, often a, a sort of ability to have a bit of political short memory in terms of setting a date that you know you won't be around to uh, be held accountable for. So if the government wants to think long term in terms of the dates it's setting, it also needs to think long term in terms of its delivery plans as well. And so it might be that actually that's the next step they're going to come forward with those plans. But also, I think in the case of the, for example, for 2030, the information that has come out so for far for cars and vans and the, the ice phase out date for those, actually that isn't enough at the moment. So um, we won't want to see a similar situation for for HGVs. Also, having said that, the other thing to remember, obviously, about heavier vehicles is the amount of time you hold them is a lot longer. They tend to be a lot older. And also, your buying pattern for them is planned a long time in advance because they're significant investments. So actually, for a lot of those vehicles, not being able to buy any new ones from 2040, well, that's probably going to mean that there are still petrol and diesel versions of those vehicles on the roads for quite some time afterwards because they do have a much longer ownership period as well so um there does need to kind of be that acceptance as well yeah, yeah. i think just picking up on that point you made there laura as well when i was thinking it through yes 2040 but then you're still going to have maybe 15 years beyond that where some of these large vehicles need the infrastructure that we're trying to replace um so so i'm wondering will we end up in the situation that your trial drivers have had with hydrogen that they simply won't be able to get hold of the the, the diesel that they need for these vehicles um obviously a long way off and we've got a lot of bridges to to cross before we get there but um i think we we need that clear plan because otherwise how can businesses start to commit um their funds now um to these plans um, and the other thing I would say as well, Tom, and it's a point that the BVRLA, I know, have pushed quite strongly on is things is, is making sure that if you want businesses to transition to different technologies, that actually you make sure that the rental and leasing markets are open for, to help them do that. Because, for example, things like the super deduction that can apply to, to investments in HGVs doesn't apply if you lease or rent a vehicle. So it, it, it actually doesn't incentivize people to make a jump very quickly in the way that they could if they were actually accessing other ways of getting those vehicles rather than outright purchase. Yeah, you need a consistent policy where all the measures looking to support actually work for everyone. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I see there's been another question sent in. Um, The headline announcements from government generally focus on the types of new cars sold and cost of driving. When will the focus shift more towards reducing ownership altogether? Well, I think that's one one for you, Laura. <laughs> um, I well, I mean, I, I think there is a there is a large amount of discussion around the future of mobility and new mobility innovations, which support a reduction in ownership. Um, 
and also you know support um people giving up some of the most polluting forms of private vehicles um, and using um, different forms of transport instead there is a lot of work going into that i mean the government's decarbonization of transport plan had a lot of ambitions around things like mobility as a service digital technologies car club um linking um active travel so bikes um, with other forms of transport and and actually having that kind of multimodal future um, I suppose one of the, the problems is that that tends to be some really good work done and some really good policy and some excellent pilots and projects. I mean, Fiona mentioned the Go High project in, in Scotland, which we've recently worked with um, Transport for Scotland to launch, is a is a huge project in an area the size of Belgium. And that shows what can be done when lots of different people work together. I mean, that's everything from planes, ferries to buses, car club, bikes. Um, and basically any mode of transport you can use in that area is available. But that took quite a long time. It took quite a lot of will to actually achieve that project. Um, and we need to see more of those types of things. But one of the problems being that that sort of thinking and that sort of technology does tend to exist separately to the debate around electric vehicles and decarbonisation. So I think we need to slightly move away from that one for one replacement um, idea. So not everybody that drives a vehicle at the moment is should be incentivized to just simply swap that for an electric vehicle or we're probably not going to achieve the targets that we want anyway. Um, because obviously the, there's other implications of ownership that are not just the emissions from the tailpipe. So we probably need to think about it in those terms. But obviously the, there's always going to be a role for people who want to own vehicles and we don't need, you know, we shouldn't demonize that but at the same time we need to think about what we can do for those people on, on the one side that perhaps actually should be looking at alternative forms of uh, transport. Yeah, I think um, one of the panellists on the, the conversation with uh, Bloomberg uh, on uh, on Transport Day was interesting in that uh, they, they pretty much echoed what you said there and they called it the British need to basically uh, we need to address the love affair with the motor vehicle um, otherwise we are just going to end up moving lift and shift from something that that you know we, we're, we're not we're only thinking about tailpipe emissions we're not thinking about the other impacts on the planet as well so yeah it's qu quite interesting to to hear you say that as well break the love affair with the car fair enough completely appropriate for, for an auto trade association um, <laughs> uh, we're running out of time here um, so I thought I'd just quickly ask um, your final thoughts and takeaway it feels like it's been an absolutely jam-packed year this year with announcement after announcement after announcement and I feel that that energy was all driving towards COP it was this uh, momentum we saw consultations with very short response times followed by announcements, massive announcements about sales, mandates, phase-out dates, all these kinds of things. Do you think that energy is all going to disappear after COP? Um, or do, do we think next year is going to be just as frantic, just as hectic as we start to maybe dig into those details of how we get between here and what they've announced? Personally, I hope it has uh, galvanized some real um real thoughts in the background and, and people will want to drive that forwards. Uh, but the cynic in me thinks that, you know, it has probably been very focused on deadlines. Uh, to, to echo Laura's point earlier on, we've got dates, but we've not got an action plan. Until we have an action plan, there, there's no accountability for anybody to do anything. Uh, so, yeah, the yeah, we, we, we need more clarity, really, uh, and we need people to, to get on board. 
Um, yes, I would agree with that, Fiona. I think um, there's been a lot of positive noises, but it'll be interesting to see if um, that actually translates into results. But I suppose what we now need to see is some of the detail around those dates. Um, but having said that, on a positive note, I do think we can capitalise on a lot of the positive momentum um, and the positive discussions that a lot of businesses have had. And that kind of will now to have that debate, I think, is really positive. Well, thank you so much both for joining me on our In Conversations with podcast series and for, for giving up your time to chat. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Hopefully the audience has too. As I said at the start, if you've got any questions at all, feel free to get in touch. And otherwise, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Mm -hmm.